Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is June 13th of 2013, and tonight our guest is Laura Makey of Women for Sobriety. She is a certified moderator and chat leader, as well as treasurer of the Board of Directors for Women for Sobriety. We're going to talk to her in just a minute after I do a little ad here for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Laura is with us right now. How are you doing this evening, Laura? I'm doing well. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, what Women for Sobriety is about with uh, some of your network. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I've looked at the webpage. I've read a couple of Jean Kirkpatrick's books, and you know, I've always been very impressed by this. I want to start off with a little question. Uh, you sent me an email that says you're a certified moderator and chat leader. What does that mean to be certified? Well, when with Women for Sobriety, um, we run our meetings a little bit differently than some other recovery programs. And in order to start a meeting, a woman has to have at least one year of solid sobriety, and they have to uh, apply to the organization and um, kind of take a little test. Um, but it's, it's not that uh, hard. It's more just making sure that you... Um, understand our program and are able to present our program to newcomers um, in a consistent and appropriate way. So when you apply, you then become certified by the organization. So I am certified by Women for Sobriety to run face-to-face meetings, um, and then I also am certified to run chat meetings in our online environment. So that's two different things. Okay. Um, can anybody do this? Uh, do, are the groups professionally led? Are they lay-led? Uh, they are lay-led. Uh, I would say 95% of the time they are lay-led, although we do have uh, options for professionals if they want to offer Women for Sobriety meetings uh, for their clients. We do have uh, uh, program materials available for both inpatient and outpatient as well as private practitioners who want to use the program with their clients. But most of our meetings are lay-led by women like myself who um, found sobriety with the program and want to make it available to others. Um, is there any charge for this program, whether it's professionally led or lay-led? Um, if it's uh, lay-led, you know, we do collect a donation um, at our meetings that is sent to the organization in Pennsylvania to help support the nonprofit organization. Uh, we don't keep any money locally. Um, if a professional leads a meeting, then that is up to them. You know, they may charge for um, their meetings that's um, outside of our uh, purview. So the most of the meetings are, are free of charge. So the donation for the lay-led meetings is totally optional. Yes, completely optional. We would never turn anyone away if um, you know if there was a financial issue. Now, uh, I know uh, Women for Sobriety was founded by Jean Kirkpatrick quite a while ago, I think in the 70s. And when did she found this and why did she found this? And who was she? Well, Jean was a real remarkable woman. Um, I did not have a chance to meet her myself. She passed away in 2000. Um, but if you have read her uh, autobiography, Turnabout, she led a pretty remarkable life for a woman of her time. Um, she uh, says that she started drinking when she was a sophomore in high school, which um, by my estimation was about 1939, and uh, drank throughout her high school and college years, was a war bride and an early divorcee in the 1950s. And that is when her drinking really got out of control. Um, and back then, women especially, there was a huge stigma attached to um, alcohol abuse, and she was perpetually misdiagnosed as being mentally ill. So she spent uh, quite some time uh, institutionalized. She had shock treatments off and on, um, and doctors you know, kept insisting that her problem was not her alcohol intake, but was something else, schizophrenia or, or some other mental illness. 
Um, she was able to finally get sober in the 1960s, um, and she used AA um, and had very positive things to say about it at the time. But then she had some shocks in her life and started drinking again. And about 15 years later, in the early 1970s, when she was trying to get sober again, found that AA was, was not working for her the second time around. So she was looking for something that would work for her. And over the course of a year or two of self-study and seeking out uh, the people that she admired um, in their writings, um, she kind of developed this own little personal way that she was able to refine her sobriety and achieve a new life uh, and a new outlook on life. And that is really what then became the Women for Sobriety program, um, which uh, she started officially in 1973. Now, she had quite a few professional accomplishments, didn't she? She did. She was a Ph.D. She was a sociologist. And she became quite a uh, known expert in the uh, 1970s, 80s, and 90s. She, um, you know, spoke at many different uh, seminars. She gave... Uh, testimony before Congress. She was on the Today Show, Phil Donahue, Good Morning America, To Tell the Truth. You know, she was um, a minor celebrity in the recovery circles um, for, you know, for her day. And tell me a little bit about the program. There, it's The core is the affirmations. Um, am I correct? Yes. So the WFS program is built um, on a cognitive behavioral approach, and Jean really felt that WFS was one of the purest um, cognitive approaches to change that um, was around, at least, especially in the 70s and 80s um, when she was developing it. And so the basic idea is that, you know, you are what you think. And that in order to change our behaviors, we have to start changing our thoughts. So the core of the program are the 13 statements of affirmation, as we refer to them. And they are all uh, positive affirmations that uh, anything from uh, happiness is a habit I will develop to uh, life can be ordinary or it can be great. The fundamental object of life is emotional and spiritual growth. Those are just a couple of them um, that help to realign your perspective um, away from the negativity that many of us experience and reinforce with our drinking and using behaviors uh, to try and get us to think of life in a completely different way. Now, I think the affirmations are really great, and there's, they're not limited to women at all, if you look at no, them. No, they aren't. Um, and we do have, uh, Jean did prepare some materials. There are some Men for Sobriety materials, you know, that um, adapt the program to men. It's intended specifically to address some of the issues that she saw women facing in recovery, issues about uh, self-worth and self-image. And, you know, one of the things she said is the last thing a alcoholic woman needs is more humility. You know, we need more, you know, we need to build ourselves up. And so this is a program that does that. This is a program that focuses on self-esteem issues and um, liking the person that you are, uh, whether um, – as, whether you are sober yet or not. So starting to uh, like yourself from the beginning of your recovery process. Well, I've often sent the affirmations or the link to the affirmations to our online group here and mm -hmm. said, you know, you, you don't have to be a woman to read these and get no. use out of them. And, you know, our people have said, oh, these are really great. And they really like them and find them really useful. And, you know, I don't think you – well, you don't have to be part of a group just to use them. No, They're, and the – one of the things about Women for Sobriety is that although group dynamics and interacting with other women on the same path as you are is important, you know, we are not a meeting-oriented recovery program. You know, the changes women have to make in order to um, 
become sober and invest in their recovery are changes that you make yourself. They're those everyday choices, one after another, that you have to make. And you make those yourself. You know, you don't make those in meetings. And so the WFS program is really something that every person, every woman, has to integrate into their lives in their own way. And so for some people, that means going to available meetings. For others, I know plenty of women um, who've never attended a WFS meeting or any other recovery meeting, for that matter, who are um, have a safe and secure uh, recovery. So it's very personal, very personalized. Um, and so if meetings are helpful for someone, then great. They can go to meetings or they can choose not to. So uh, that's pretty clear. You don't tell people they have to go to meetings for the rest of their life. Certainly not. Um, Jean anticipated that most women, uh, if they chose to go to meetings, would probably attend for a year or two, but that once you have your new coping skills in place, that, you know, you have, you get busy. <laughs> you get busy when you get a new life and that um, meetings are completely optional um, or on an as-needed basis. Um, so certainly not a, a something that you have to commit to for the rest of your life. I found a pretty similar experience. People tend to be pretty intensively involved for the first year, and then they really get their basics put into place, and they're moving along, mm -hmm. and they don't need to be dependent on the group anymore after that. At least uh, many people don't. Well, and the it's always nice to be able to have the connection you need at the level you need. You know, if you mm -hmm. need that support, if something happens and you want a little bit more connection than you have had, you know, you can step back in. Um, but there's no requirement, you know, that you, you know, are there every day, every week, every month, or anything like that. Um, yes, yeah, so I've seen in our group people really, after a year, many people, I would say the majority actually are are much less intensely involved mm -hmm. with the group and much more intensely involved with their lives, which is exactly. actually where That's we'd like and, to see them. Yeah, and and I would agree with that. One of the other things you said earlier, I wanted to touch on about the statements is, you know, I have always said that um, the affirmations can be used by anyone and for really any purpose. If you want to change something in your life then the WFS New Life Program approach will work for you. The only statement that says anything about having an addiction is the first one. And, you know, that is completely personalizable as well. You know, so we start out by saying, I have a life-threatening problem that once had me. I now take charge of my life. I accept the responsibility. So... You know, that problem for most of us coming into this program is alcohol or drug abuse or chemical dependency of some sort, or it could be a process addiction. It could be shopping or gambling or smoking, um, or it could be something less life-threatening. You know, maybe you're unhappy with your job. Maybe you're unhappy with your marriage. You know, if you have a problem and you want to change it, the first step, is to accept responsibility for it, and what, no matter what kind of problem that is, and that's the approach that our program takes. So what I see is women who grow with our program, after a year or two, they have learned the tools to change their problem coping skills, you know, the drinking or whatever, and then they start to realize that, well, this works for everything else. You know, all of those other problems that are still there when we get sober, you know, because um, changing your drinking doesn't always remove all of the problems that we have in our lives, but that those problems can be approached in the same exact way. So it's not just a program to address your um, addictive behaviors. It's a program that really helps you um, structure the rest of your life. 
Now, let's say someone comes in with an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. Do you encourage them to be totally abstinent from alcohol, or how do you feel about moderate drinking? Mm -hmm. We are an abstinence-based program. So, you know, WFS does stand on abstinence as as a goal. Um, I can say from my own experience, when I first started attending WFS meetings, um, I continued to drink for probably 16 months, maybe. Um, You do have to be sober in order to attend our meetings. So if you have been drinking or using the day of the meeting, you are not uh, welcome to attend. We insist that everyone share at least that day's sobriety together at a meeting. Um, But if I was sober at 6 o'clock, I went to a meeting, you know, every week. And over time, I that as I implemented the program and used it in my life, I was able to start making changes until eventually I was able to consistently choose not to drink again. So it's it's a process, I think, for everyone. Very few people wake up one day and say, gee, I, I shouldn't drink again and have that be the day that they actually stop drinking. You know, that that first time you think of it is rarely the day it happens. So what was it like if you went in, say you had drank the day before? Did you feel Mm -hmm. that you had to confess your sin, or what was it like? Oh, absolutely not. And I have to say that that's one of the things that so attracted me to Women for Sobriety is that I, um, no one asked. Not that no one cared, but it is I'm the one making the choice. My sobriety is my own. Um, if I wanted to address it, I could. Um, I was never made to feel unwelcome. The women I met there were women I could have met in any part of my life. You know, it, it, they felt like people I could have met um, in my job or friends of friends or, you know, there I felt completely at home and safe um, and absolutely no judgment whatsoever. Um, there are women I remember from those meetings, you know, when I first started going uh, about eight years ago, I can't tell you if they were ever sober. They might have been drinking every day but the meeting day. And I knew, knew these women for years, but it wasn't, it's not important. What's important is that they're there, it's a meeting, and they're learning the skills. What happens in the rest of their life is their responsibility, not mine. Okay. Now, I want to ask you another question on this uh, same type of topic Mm -hmm. Um, say that someone had uh, an addiction to heroin Mm -hmm. and that's what they wanted to address is to not use heroin but they wanted to be a moderate drinker Um, how would they fit in Um, you know we have had these kinds of issues come up um, especially you know I live in California and so you know there's the medical marijuana issue and there Mm -hmm, are plenty mm -hmm. of people who might choose to not drink but want to um, do other recreational drugs or that sort of thing. And really, you know, Women for Sobriety doesn't necessarily take a position on that. Um, Again, we are an abstinence-based program, so we would not um, encourage anyone to actively discuss moderation at our meetings. Um, But it's just like my problem with alcohol, it's not pain pills. So mm-hmm. if I, you know, have dental surgery and the doctor gives me Vicodin, that's my prescription and I take it as needed and it's not a problem for me. So if someone truly had a problem with heroin and did not have a problem with alcohol, then, you know, they, that's their personal journey. So the program can work to help you address whatever whatever level of, of problem that you would like. Well, that's very good. I know in 12-step programs, particularly people go to Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. and then they hear, oh, you had a beer. You're not sober. You had a jo- you smoked a joint. You're not sober. But well, I, can't. I spent a, a significant part of last year interning at a methadone clinic. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, I heard that a lot. You know, it was very hard for people uh, choosing a medical modality to help them uh, get off of narcotics to go to NA meetings because, you know, if they were on methadone, they were uh, viewed as still using. So, you know, it is, it's very challenging for people who uh, want to take um, a different approach, you know, than um, to find a place where they are uh, welcome and not judged. Yeah, in the 70s and 80s, a lot of people were even told to get off their blood blood pressure medications mm-hmm. because you weren't sober on your blood pressure medications. And well, a lot of people died of heart attacks and things from that, too. But, you know, we certainly support the, you know, new medical model and the new medical research. And, you know, if a woman, you know, wants to pursue uh, medical options, you know, some of the newer anti-craving drugs, um, naltrexone or Camprol or that sort of thing, you know, that's between her and her doctor. And WFS has no position. You know, we aren't involved in in that. Um, same sort of thing if, if someone decides that they want to use a non-alcoholic beverage, um, that it works for some people, it doesn't work for others, mm-hmm. it's not something that we need to have a position on because every person's path is personal. Well, that's exactly the way it should be. I mean, people know if they're having a problem with a substance or not. I mean, people are not inherently in denial. Um, Denial usually comes from confrontation from a therapist. Mm. It's not the right way for a therapist to approach people. But if people are having problems, you know, if somebody got three DUIs, they know that alcohol is giving them problems. Mm-hmm. And, so, and if somebody, you know, quits heroin, but they've never had more than one beer at a time in their life, and they don't change their, you know, relationship with alcohol any after they quit heroin, they know they're not having a problem with alcohol. But there also is the other side of the coin to some extent, and those are the people who have serial addiction issues. You know, Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. we think of as transfer addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, so they stop drinking, but then they start shopping. (laughs) Or, you know, they um, stop gambling, but they start drinking. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And that is actually a a huge problem in, um, there's several different uh, areas, especially for women. Uh, One is with women with food control issues, so anorexics and bulimics. There is a definite correlation between women who um, have a history of anorexia or bulimia. They get their eating disorder under control, and many times they turn to alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then I hear from them, okay, I need to stop drinking, but as as they start to control their drinking, they find their food control behaviors are coming back. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. That is a very typical transfer addiction we see in women, as well as uh, gastric bypass patients, uh, men and women who um, have had traditional gastric bypass, um, often end up uh, dependent on alcohol because, again, they can't soothe themselves with food as they're used to, so they seek out something else, and oftentimes that ends up being alcohol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is very true. I mean, we saw this. Uh, in the old days, way back, uh, in the therapeutic communities in the 60s, mm-hmm. when you when you were ready to graduate, before you graduated, they would give you your drinking privileges because everybody that went to those went for drugs. Right. And, and you know, about half the people that were opiate addicts, um, they would decide, I'm going to get as drunk as possible, you know, to get the most effect, you know, to try and replace the opiate that got taken mm-hmm. away, and they would wind up with big alcohol problems, and then you'd have about the other half that, you know, would say, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to drink moderately if I drink at all. And so, yeah, there's definitely we definitely see some people. And I say I say to people when they ask me, you know, I kicked heroin. Can I be a moderate drinker? And I say, yeah, if you try to replace heroin by getting as drunk as possible, you're not going to be a moderate drinker. Right. But if you if that's what you want to be, you can try it out and you. You can probably succeed if you really want to be a moderate drinker that drinks in social situations. 
Well, and for me, that was the real key to uh, the Women for Sobriety program is that it really taught me the skills that I was missing uh, because I had a you know a history of all sorts of inappropriate coping mechanisms. You know, I was an overeater. Um, I you know had shopping problems. I you know you you name it. I probably you know various you know recreational drugs and alcohol and one thing after another um, that I was trying to either stuff my feelings or fill a void or there was something I thought was missing um, and. If it wasn't for the tools that WFS provided me, I would still be looking for, yes, I might have stopped drinking, but I would still be looking for that other thing. And WFS really gave me the tools to find that satisfaction with my life um, and to fill, to fill that void uh, myself um, and no longer have to look for external uh, validation um, in that way. Mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, just you personally, do you think that you had uh, other issues like anxiety or depression or things that needed that were driving the alcohol use? And um, not so much anxiety personally, but I I have a history of depression uh, myself and and drank through uh, antidepressants for years and years. You know, just just because the bottle says do not take with alcohol doesn't mean that we actually follow those directions. Um, And that was uh, actually one of the major surprises when I actually did get sober was that uh, my antidepressant medication changed dramatically because once you aren't um, sabotaging your antidepressants with the depressant of alcohol, you actually can give them a chance to work. so uh, for me, I think that, that I did uh, certainly have an issue with depression, but uh, I find that not drinking goes a long way to helping out with that. And how did the uh, how did the program help you find satisfaction? Can you go into more detail about that? Well, one of the things that WFS showed me was that my negative thinking, you know, is somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Jean would have loved the secret, you know, when the secret came out a couple years ago, you know, the uh, attraction. Um, She she would have loved that because that's exactly how she felt like the world worked. So one of the basic tools um, that I first started using uh, is negative... um, Problems bother me only to the degree I permit them to. Now, this sounds really kind of basic, but it was a huge eye-opener for me, Ken. I had no idea that I could actually choose how I responded to things in my environment. You know, I was a huge reactor. You know, Mm -hmm. I was incredibly reactionary to everything in my environment. The idea that I could actually choose to respond or that not reacting was even an option was an incredible sea change for me and was one of the first tools that I was immediately able to start using in my life. And then another one of the statements is, happiness is a habit I will develop. Happiness is created, not waited for. I was a huge waiter. I, you know, I would be happy when, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be happy when I lose 15 pounds. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get that job. I'll be happy when I'm dating that guy, whatever it is. But happiness was always something in the future that was going to happen when I got something, when I did something. Um, and so the idea that I am responsible for my life and if I want to be happy, I have to create my own happiness today and I can't be waiting for happiness to, you know, uh, fall from the sky. Um, So I had always thought responsibility was something to be avoided, you know, that, you know, not wanting to grow up and who wants to be responsible. But what I discovered is that responsibility is incredibly freeing. 
being responsible for your own choices is a great way to live your life because every single choice you make is what you want to do. So, you know, if I want to be unhappy today, you know, and sometimes you do, you know, sometimes things happen. There are tragedies in life. Um, and so sometimes it's appropriate to have a, a down day or two or to grieve a loss or that sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't mean it paralyzes you. It means that it's a, I'm choosing to feel these feelings today. And then, you know, when I'm ready, I can move on to the next thing that will be more positive. Well, I know something that was really powerful for me personally was when, you know, I was first discovering cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And I I learned that, you know, I am the master of my own thoughts. My thoughts don't control me. I can be in charge of them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the boss. If if thought if there's certain thoughts that are making me depressed, I can choose to think other things instead. And it was yeah. like so amazing. You can stop thinking about that thing. You don't have to obsess about it. Uh, it's your choice. And that was, and I learned that and it started to work and it was just uh, and, huge. And it does start to work. It, but like everything, it is a practice. You know, it's not mm-hmm, the kind mm-hmm. of thing that you can just, you know, it's not a, a switch you can flip. You know, we our mental habits, our thoughts are so habitual and so ingrained, that self-talk we have with ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time to start recognizing them and stopping them and replacing them um, on a consistent basis. Um, and that is, you know, the, the time it takes to really retrain your brain um, to process things differently and to slow down so that you can see your thoughts and be in the present moment and make your choice. And sometimes, you know, even, you know, I've been uh, using Women for Sobriety's program for about eight years now, and even now sometimes I forget (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I don't have to react. I forget that maybe I should take a breath first (laughs) before I open my mouth, but those Times are fewer and farther between, and I am much more in control of my responses to things um, than I ever was before. Well, we're never going to get perfect at this as long as we live, but better is better. (laughs) I had someone ask me once, um, how you know when when would they be done with uh, their negative thoughts? When could they move? You know, when could they expect to no longer have any negative thoughts? And I said, well, sorry to inform you, <laughs> but, you know, we they're going to keep coming. There's always going to be something negative popping up in your brain. The, you know, it's the skill to deal with it is what you, you have to work on because we can never completely remove those old tapes and, and those uh, behaviors uh, that we had for so long. We just have to learn how to, to deal with them in a more positive fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you can switch from being ninety percent negative to, well, I'd say sixty or seventy percent positive. I don't think too many people get to ninety percent, but uh, probably not. But um, some of the research I've read says that um, like eighty percent of our thoughts on a daily basis are negative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, any any time you can get that number down, you know, even if you get it down to fifty fifty. Uh, you're doing a lot better than the majority of people. And since so much of our negativity is habitual, you know, we say the same things to ourselves over and over again. We uh, rarely have a new negative thought. (laughs) Most of our (laughs) negative thoughts are old negative thoughts. And so you don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel every time. You know, if you know your habitual negativity revolves around your body image or revolves around, you know, your childhood or whatever your habitual negativity, you know, core is, then you can have some ready responses to yourself for when those negative thoughts come up, you know, that you are ready to counter them um, and move on. Oh, yeah, I know. I would say 
Oh boy, my brain is trying to play that tape again. Uh-huh. Okay, stop that tape right now. Put this tape in instead. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, one thing you mentioned in your email was about uh, Women for Sobriety doesn't do drunkologues a lot. No, we don't. And that's such a characteristic of AA that people probably people that watch television probably think that's all that recovery is, is telling your drunkalog over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is that? Well, one of our uh, affirmations is the past is gone forever. No longer will I be victimized by the past. I am a new person. And what it comes down to is that we can't change the past. There is nothing we can do today to make any changes to what has gone before. And the only thing we can do is show by our actions and our choices that we are new people, that we are making new choices, that we are making different choices. And we take responsibility for the past. You know, if there if there is something that needs to be addressed, um, you know, we are will apologize, but we refuse to allow the past to hang over us. That um, we don't need to rehash how bad things were in order it, in order to keep sober in the present. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a whip. You know, it's, we have a carrot. Does that make, I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so, um, you know, so although occasionally, you know, we don't, we also don't hide them. You know, it's not like um, we have no past at all, but it doesn't really matter. I don't need to hear what happened, you know, at your wedding or what happened on that vacation. Um, Jean, in one of her writings, Jean talks about how uh, men and women are viewed differently in recovery and how, you know, if a man stood up in a, at a meeting and told a story about how he uh, had gone out and uh, went drinking and woke up in a hotel room with two women that he didn't know, that you know, most of the guys there would slap him on the back and say, that's a good one, you know. But if a woman got up in a meeting and said that she had gotten drunk and woke up in a hotel room with two men she didn't know, the response in the room would be very different. And so although we like to think that we've come further in our uh, equality um, of experience, in reality, women are still judged very differently um, than men. And so that is one reason, is that um, we don't need to continue to humiliate ourselves um, with keeping our past alive, um, that we apologize where it is necessary, but then move on, because there's not, because we can't change it. So there's no point in dwelling on it. Well, it's always been my opinion that uh, AA at its best is unhelpful for men. For women, it's just devastatingly damaging. And, you know, I have never uh, worked the AA program myself. Um, My knowledge of it is fairly superficial. But certainly from the stories I hear, um, you know, it um, can be very harmful. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the pers- interpersonal dynamics um, that ar- arise often um, in uh, in the various meetings. And so, you know, Jean always urged women to seek out meetings, you know, and if there aren't WFS meetings, you know, go to other meetings, go to AA meetings, go to SMART meetings, go to, you know, SOS, whatever you have. But, you know, seek out women-only meetings. Seek out women meetings where you have, feel safer. And, you know, keep looking for meetings until you find a meeting where, where you feel safe. Well, I know for me the message that alcohol was powerful and I was powerless. Well, how could I possibly not drink with that message? Well, and of course our message is 
I am responsible oh, for myself and my actions. And, Absol- you know, and I, I may choose to drink again. I am not planning on it, but it's my choice. There's mm-hmm. nothing, you know, there's no one or, or keeping me from drinking but myself. And no one can make me drink but myself. So I am responsible for for my choices, and um, that to me is so much more powerful and so much more helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I've told this story many times before, but you, people are going to have to hear it again. Um, you know, after a few months in AA and hearing this over and over that I was powerless, that alcohol was powerful. Um, I never drank as much in my life. I drank five liters of whiskey in five days. I checked into detox so I didn't die of a heart attack or DTs. And I said, you know, I got to leave AA before it kills me because mm-hmm. I never did this before in my life. And that was the end of my uh, association with that particular group. And that was my start of moving in other directions. Well, and I think that it's really important for people to know that there are alternatives, you know, that AA is so pervasive in our uh, society, in our culture, that, you know, many people just are not aware that there are other options, you know, other self-help, you know, mutual support groups, um, such as, you know, HAMS and uh, WFS, SMART, SOS, LifeRing, you know, there's those sorts of organizations, but then there are thousands of people who have changed their lives without any kind of formal organizational support. You know, what um, what the professionals call bibliotherapy, you know, reading mm-hmm, self-help mm-hmm. books and, mm-hmm. and implementing, you know, the changes. And that's pretty much what Jean did back in, in, you know, from 70 to 73 is she was reading Emerson and she was reading Thoreau and Wadsworth and finding these, uh, ideas about how to control your environment by controlling your mind and how to change things. And, you know, so she basically developed, you know, her own path by reading people she admired. Um, and so, you know, WFS grew out of, you know, one woman's experience, but um, any person can find their own path in, in the same way. Well, I think it's really important for people to realize, uh, you know, both people with problems with alcohol or drugs and, you know, treatment providers and people out in the world to realize that the normal outcome of addiction is that people will quit on their own. We saw in the... uh, in the NISARC study, the National Epidemiological Survey of Alcohol-Related Conditions, mm-hmm. um, three-fourths of people recovered eventually. It was a 20-year study, a study over a 20-year period, and of uh, those that recovered, three-fourths did it on their own. And the essential thing for me, a, a healthy group says, or a healthy program says, okay, spontaneous remission, natural recovery is the norm. We're going to help to Speed this up. We're going to encourage it. We're going to help people that are struggling to, you know, attain the natural recovery. Um, that's what, to me, a healthy group should do. And again, I think for, um, in our case with Women for Sobriety, um, we appeal to a very specific demographic. Obviously, you know, um, <laughs> the. Uh, Largest drinking age group for women is actually um, 50 to uh, 69 is actually the the age group where women uh, tend to drink the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we do, um, you know, tend to appeal to women who are starting to recognize um, problem drinking patterns, you know, usually in their 30s or 40s. You know, their 20s were fun, but gee, they start to realize that, you know, maybe this isn't going to go on. They can't maintain this lifestyle forever. Um, and again, we offer tools that they can then learn so that they can um, give it up and uh, have something uh, more meaningful in their lives if that's what they want. Yeah, I think Women for Sobriety really supports the innate strengths that people have. And that's what 
helps them to get over the problem is the innate strength. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you support those and you bring them out, that is the real key. Well, and we really avoid um, labels. You know, we, um, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, refer to ourselves as alcoholics. We don't label ourselves that way. You know, we don't have to say, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. That, that's not who I am. Um, so the words we use, how we talk about ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, um, those are all very important um, in the long run in changing that inner dialogue and changing how you um, think about yourself. Well, we've talked about several of the affirmations. Uh, do you just want to run through them from the first sure. to the last? Um, I am happy to. The statements, um, there are 13 of them, and um, they are two-part statements. So the first part is what we usually call the concept or the idea. So it's kind of the big picture. And then the second half is kind of the action statement, how you do or how you implement the big idea um, of the statement. And I'm going to go ahead and I'll uh, talk about them in terms of um, what we call the levels of growth because it kind of groups them together in a way that keeps them um, the ones that are similar to each other kind of together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we start off with um, acceptance, which I mentioned earlier. I have a life-threatening problem that once had me. I now take charge of my life. I accept the responsibility. Then the next level of statements deals with removing negativity. So this would include negative thoughts destroy only myself. My first conscious act must be to remove negativity from my life then problems bother me only to the degree I permit them to, which I mentioned earlier, this is my personal favorite. I now better understand my problems and do not permit problems to overwhelm me. And then the third statement that addresses negativity is the past is gone forever, which I mentioned earlier as well. No longer will I be victimized by the past. I am a new person. So after the after you start kind of working on removing negativity, you have to replace it with something else. And so then we start thinking about creating and practicing a new self-image. So this would include the statements, I am what I think, I am a capable, competent, caring, compassionate woman. And you often, uh, in Women for Sobriety circles, you'll see uh, people refer to each other or uh, talk about being 4C, and that is capable, competent, caring, and compassionate. And that is um, kind of our shorthand. Um, when at meetings, when you do introduce yourself, you would say, I'd say, my name is Laura and I am a capable woman, or I am capable, competent, caring, and compassionate. So that's, um, if we label ourselves, those are some of the labels that we use. Uh, the second statement that goes with uh, the new thinking is, I am a competent woman and have much to give life. This is what I am, and I shall know it always. Then we turn to new attitudes. Um, so uh, new attitudes to enforce the new behavior patterns that we are implementing. So this includes happiness is a habit I will develop. Happiness is created, not waited for. Life can be ordinary or it can be great. Greatness is mine by a conscious effort. And then enthusiasm is my daily exercise. I treasure all moments of my new life. So those are the attitude uh, affirmations. We have two affirmations that we sometimes call the love statements. Um, technically, they're the relationship statements, but they're... Uh, focused on improving relationships as a result of our new feelings about ourselves and others. So this would include love can change the course of my world, caring becomes all important. And then the second statement here is all love given returns, I will learn to know that others love me. And then finally, the last two statements are 
about recognizing life's priorities, kind of the the big picture of emotional and spiritual growth and self-responsibility. So the fundamental object of life is emotional and spiritual growth. Daily, I put my life into a proper order, knowing which are the priorities. And then finally, I am responsible for myself and my actions. I am in charge of my mind, my thoughts, and my life. So we start with responsibility for our problem, our drinking, our addiction, whatever that may be, that one thing. And we grow in the program to a point where we willingly take responsibility for all aspects of our lives. Okay, that sounds great. So, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Is there okay. anything you, that you would like to leave us with this evening? Well, I, again, I just really appreciate the opportunity um, to share a little bit about Women for Sobriety. And if anyone is interested, they can visit our website, uh, womenforsobriety.org. There's a lot of material about the program, uh, articles by Jean and the statements. Uh, so anything uh, someone would need to get started on the program is there at our at that website. And then we also have a very vibrant online community. Uh, Women for Sobriety started offering online support in 1996. So we've been uh, started back on AOL and moved to MSN, and we now have our own private site, uh, commercial-free and free of charge uh, to uh, women who want to join. Um, And uh, women from all over the world are members. There's people there 24-7. We have usually two online meetings a day, so even from the privacy of your home, you can join in in community with other women who are using the program. Um, and so that site is also available, and that is womenforsobrietyonline.com. So those are two resources that I would really um, urge anyone who's interested in what they've heard to uh, at during the program to look into. Well, I always like to introduce as many possibilities as there are out there because I think people will do best if they have a lot to choose from and people tend to gravitate to what fits them best. And And I agree 100%. And so I want to thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Laura Mickey. Well, thank you, Ken. And everyone, come back next week. Our guest will be Ashley Phillips, who is the president of uh, Recovery Coaches International, to tell us about recovery coaching. So thank you, everyone, and good night.